Hello? Who's there? Aoi, <laughs> Naina. Who's your mom? Egua, who's your dad? Oh. <laughs> Welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. I biggest Nitsigasun, Ginekoma My name is Amber Dion and I'm from the Kihiwan Cree Nation right here in Treaty 6 territory. I'm a mother, I'm a social worker, and I'm also an assistant professor with McEwen University School of Social Work, and I am joined by my lovely co-host. Hey, hey! <laughs> My English name is Terry Sengens. I'm from Sally Cree Nation, and I am the Director of Indigenous Initiatives in Keo Weston at McEwen University. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to the conversations. Welcome to episode number four with two Crees in a pod. Today we are joined by Nadia Houle. Um, I'm going to let Nadia introduce herself, but I just wanted to share with our listeners um, my connection to Nadia. Uh, and I, I actually don't know how long ago this was or which baby it was, but I think it was Ella. Um, when I had my first daughter, I, had, uh, I was looking specifically for an Indigenous doula um, who would work with me uh, through my birthing um, practices but also to assist me with my placenta after baby was born um, and so that's how I met Nadia and she actually picked up my placenta <laughs> from my sister's house Clarice on the south side I don't know if you remember that do you remember that that was a lot well Ella's 10 now so that was a while ago <laughs> so she, she's had my placenta <laughs> how many Probably placentas have you met <laughs> Anyways, Nadia is a graduate, um, actually of McEwen. She graduated from the acupuncture program and she also holds a Bachelor of Science. She resides and works in Edmonton. Um, but I'm going to pass it over to you, Nadia, just to share with our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself um, and the work that you do um, as an Indigenous birth worker as well. Um, I am a mother to, um, well, let's talk about blended families. I'm, I'm a birth mother to four and uh, a stepmother to four, but really just the two little ones that live at home. Um, so they're sick, a mother to six. And um, my day practice, by, the, by day I, I work as an acupuncturist and ma- majority of my patients are are people trying to get pregnant and having babies and in the postpartum and um, but my birth work um, the last 15 years um, has been supporting families who are going to have a baby who are giving birth at the time and who are in usually early postpartum or sometime in the postpartum and providing lactation counseling in that way or mm-hmm or anything that they need and and in the last four years I transformed into this journey of coming back into my culture and by way of that was um, learning more about my culture but also being available for um, answering any questions around birth um, and navigating through our culture about um, the teachings so currently it looks like supporting families who are needing services or who need help finding services Mm -hmm. and kind of um, helping them navigate that but also going out into communities and 
kind of sharing information and listening to how people want to improve possibly their birthing options in the community or as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to ask is just what brought you, what brought you to this work? Well, I, I see it as a two part series. So one initially why I got into birth work, I think I just like, I think most of us inherently as we're, we're born, most of us are, it's just a natural part of life. So I was curious about it and mm-hmm. <clears throat> I've always loved being around children and always thought I was going to have numerous children. And, um, I supported one of my aunties while she was at the hospital having her baby. I was at home being a little mommy to my cousin and, um, down the road as I was expecting my first child, I started to navigate and, and, learn about midwifery Mm -hmm. and doulas and what that all meant and after I had my daughter I had a really good experience and upon talking to other people and hearing their birth stories of the horrific stories they were telling me I just couldn't understand why they ended up with such a terrible experience and I didn't Hmm. and so I kind of made it my I said you know as long as I'm alive Anybody that I know will always know that they have options. And then it just kind of transformed. Mm -hmm. And then four years ago, when I started my journey back into culture, is when I really started to focus on that ceremony piece and and offering and willing to work with my own people. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that um, is interesting, so I took the Indigenous Dula program years ago and um, I took it more so to assist my family and friends um, with birth and so it wasn't necessarily something that I I knew that I wanted to get into with work but um, how I was assisting um, and helping those that I loved in an appropriate cultural way and there was so much things that I've seen in the hospital so I've, I've attended a lot of births Um, And there's so many different things that I've experienced with different hospitals and treatment of, you know, people that I love, uh, women who have been birthing and, and whether that's, you know, ensuring that, you know, they, they had a voice or that they knew that they had a voice, because I think oftentimes, you know, you have doctors or nurses come in and it's like, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to give you this drug. uh, And it's like, well, wait, you don't have to do that mm-hmm. or here's your rights or you have a choice in this and a lot of our moms don't know that that they have a choice in whatever happens when they go into that space um, or they're forced into um, into decisions that they that aren't necessarily right for them I remember attending one birth uh, where um, they wanted to c-section right away and my question was why like, why do you want a C-section? Is there, is there harm uh, to baby right now? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't answer that. They couldn't say there, there was harm to baby right now. But so, again, like, they were dodging that question. So it's like, well, if, if, if baby's in harm's way or if mom's in harm's way, then yes, we should do this. But if there's no reason, let mommy, you know, take that natural path. And so I guess... You know, if you have any, and I think it's important because we have a lot of moms that listen, mm-hmm. um, or pregnant moms, or moms who, moms to be, that need to also understand um, that they have a choice in um, the way that they birth, mm-hmm. whether that's in our communities or, 
know I have a friend. I don't know if you know Charity. Uh, Charity, <laughs> shout out to Charity on the podcast, uh, has birthed a lot of babies. Oh, I was like, is she pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> no, she's not pregnant again. <laughs> don't put that Charity. energy out there for Charity. <laughs> Our baby. But her last baby she had at home. Uh, and basically like had baby by herself in the bathroom. And I remember waking up to a picture and she's like, and it was in her bathroom on the floor with her and baby. And I was just like, wow, wow, you're deadly. Right. So I think that if you could just share some of that, um, I think it'd be really, it's really important for, um, also nurses, and people within our communities, within the health field, to understand some of these barriers and challenges um, that we face. Uh, I, I know, I, I know, it's a lot. Yeah, I think it's like this is the stuff. I guess when we talk about my work, like this is the stuff right now. It transforms from frontline, trying to help everybody, to like, wow, like that. That's a lot of help. So if we go up. Who are we going to teach so that they can provide better care? Mm -hmm. So when I started to say, okay, I formed Indigenous Birth of Alberta in 2016, gathered some people together who were in the same kind of boat, wanting to learn, not mm -hmm. quite into culture, or who wanted to share. Um, I remember the first birth I went to of a, of a young Indigenous person I don't think that I actually realized what racism was actually, I don't know, sometimes you just, it's so subtle and ageism and mm -hmm. trauma-informed care or lack of trauma-informed care. As I was watching it unfold before me, I looked at the nurse and I said, am I the only person here who is seeing what's wrong with what's happening here? And because the reaction of my client was not what I thought it was. I thought she would say, stop touching me. Don't do that. No, I don't want to do that. And, and she just went into total, um, she just froze mm -hmm. or fawned. And I left that night going, so like, what is my role? You know, and a lot of the times it is even now, it's not to go in there and fight a fight to say, stop touching her. Don't do that that's not it mm -hmm. it's really going to have to come from me us supporting and the overused word of empowering but teaching and talking and that those those things are very hard to change in a person in if I'm just meeting them at the hospital if I'm meeting them at 36 weeks, like it's really hard to change those ideologies yeah. and those perceptions about ourselves and how we deserve, we think we deserve to be treated or undoing trauma in that short of time. So when we sit in circles and we talk and we share and we drink tea and we eat food and we tell stories, that's where that stuff comes in and you mm -hmm. plant a seed. So being at the hospital last minute doing that stuff is, that's like last resort. Yeah. So the point of going out into communities and even through my ceremony life, how I interact with people and we talk about stuff. Mm -hmm. How crazy is it that so many of our communities, they know that maybe their cookum or that their auntie or that their grandma was a midwife. They were delivered at home. There's tons of stories about that. But if I talk about midwifery today, it's like there's a missing gap that it actually exists. Mm -hmm. And what's the purpose of it? You know, we need doctors and we need hospitals and we need to be there. But the missing 
piece about that is like all the other ceremonies that we do, the teachings that come with rites of passage, you learn how to respect your body and what you have to do in order to carry mm-hmm. a baby. If I, when I went through my first, I don't know, my first sweat, I guess, my first ceremony, um, I could only relate it to giving birth. Mm. So I thought if I'd been doing this ceremony my entire life, I don't think giving birth would have been as, um, I want to say traumatizing, but as overwhelming as maybe it was. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're so used to going into that headspace and letting your body do what it needs to do and not fearing it. Mm-hmm. That, So those are the things that when I talk about... I really focus on like the traditional part, even though bridging that with modern day is a necessity because, you know, that we do have a lot of health care or a lot of health issues within our community. So it is often safer to birth in a hospital, but it is important for care providers to understand um, that if I ever thought the clients who were non-Indigenous, middle to upper class, um, struggled with using their voice that being in there with a young indigenous person was tenfold mm-hmm. of that. And it is like an anti-rule that I, I do have to sometimes say something, but I have to be careful because often if I say something, I'm almost overstepping her. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times that I said, like, are you okay with what they're doing now? No, I'm not. Or do you want them to explain? Yeah, I do. So then I'd say, well, she would like you to explain. And they're like, you want me to explain? And she says, no, it's okay. So I, it's like you're almost overstepping your power and I'm embarrassing her because I'm, I'm going to stand up and say something, but it's still confrontational. Mm. It's, it's really, so when I think about that, the compassionate care providers who just do things, they talk about consent, they ask before they touch, they explain what they're doing. Um, and not just because people are um, incompetent, mm-hmm. because it's our bodies and that we think it's just normal to have to get a, a vaginal exam. Like that's just normal because mm-hmm. just because that care provider does it 50 times a day means that you're going to come in here and just ask me to open my legs and just relax while right. you do that. It's not. So when I talk about this kind of reclamation of where we're going to come from, that first ceremony one of the first ceremonies i say in quotations is um is birth and bringing those babies outside and that mothers are created and and i think that has a huge impact so along with the other stuff that you mentioned terry like i i do we do have options and we do but you don't know if you don't know and that's kind of where we're at so my job is to give the no Mm -hmm. even though some people don't want to hear it and they don't want to know about the they call it, you know, the hippy-dippy back life, like back in the day thing. But it actually, to me, that's where this big shift is going to come from, mm-hmm. is getting all that knowledge back to everybody in the community. Mm-hmm. And you just reminded me when you were talking, you reminded me of a lot of things. Uh, and I had tons Your of birth. thoughts. <laughs> You're having my birth. Bur- I was birth having birth pains. Box. I was having contractions <laughs> while you were talking. Nadia, uh, my uterus, my uterus is inflamed. Uh, I was with Amber and their last baby, just me and her. And and I think that that's one of the things that I was thinking about was one of the first things that I think I want to address is, you know, even just you talked about that piece of ceremony um, in relation to birthing and and you use that language of ceremony. And I want to validate that. 
because I know like when I had my first daughter who's 15, um, I was surrounded by women. Their father was there. But he, you know, he was sitting there reading a newspaper and, you know, snapping on his bubble gum and eating a donair while I was having contractions. Like just, you know, he just, you could tell that he just wasn't comfortable there. And, um, and so he moved back, you know, he was still in the room, but he moved back. But I had my late sister in there. I had my sister Shana in there and then my nieces and, uh, and it was beautiful, you know? Uh, and then when I had my second daughter, who's 10, uh, I actually sent their dad to work that morning. I'm like, ah, I won't have her till later. Like you go ahead. <laughs> and I called her at three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I'm having contractions. Let's go. And it was just her and I, and he showed up afterwards and it was probably one of the most beautiful experiences I've had. It was just me and her. Yeah. And, um, and I think about what, what allowed me to that permission or what allowed me uh, to say to the father of my kids, you go ahead and go to work. You don't have to be here was a, because I had support and B because during that time when I was pregnant, I was doing research about the role of indigenous fathers. And one of the things that I was told by an old man was men didn't typically take part in birthing. Typically, right? It was, it was, a, it was a woman's role or, or a two-spirit person's role to come in and nurture that woman birthing. Now, that was his teachings, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when I heard that, I, I allowed myself to say, you know, you don't have to be here. If it's uncomfortable for you, mm -hmm. we're, we got this, me and her. You know, we're going to be okay. And we were okay. And he showed up and he was like, oh, it doesn't even look like you had a baby. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like sitting there. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, I think that's one of the other things that when you were, you said that you reminded me of the stories I heard from old ladies in Saddle Lake who talked about the birthing process and talked about how mm -hmm. we nurture each other as Nehiawasquo to do that work. Right. Uh, that's the first thing you reminded me of. So I'd love to hear more about that. And then the second thing you reminded me of is when you talked about the normalcy of spreading your legs and having a vaginal exam and how so many of our women who have experienced sexual violence, that's, that's a completely re-traumatizing. You talked about trauma-informed care and that image was in my mind of, again, just like, well, spread your legs. We're going to put this in. We're going to do this. And there's no explanation of what, well, sometimes I shouldn't say never. Um, but just that of, of just knowing that so many of our women have experienced sexual violence, that when you ask a woman to do that and our men, when you ask a woman or a man to do those things, and it's just part of your normal day-to-day -day work, but not recognizing that that is so intrusive, regardless of sexual violence, it's intrusive. But then you add that layer of trauma on top of that and traumatized bodies and how your body doesn't forget that. Mm -hmm. And so I thank you for saying that because you reminded me of how we have to be so um, understanding of that mm -hmm. and, and consider that. So thank you, I appreciate that. I think it's all things because I think that as people think as soon as I remember the first time with my daughter I was like went to the pregnancy care center or something because I didn't know where to go and um, they sent me to this doctor and I went in there and I was, I was 23 or something and and as I was there sitting in the room and he was next door with another person and the 
child they were with was screaming and he came into the room all huffed and flustered and he's like oh that child's gonna have problems when that baby comes <gasps> so on the table I'm laying I'm bottomless you know I'm sitting there and he's like did a didn't even say but did a vaginal exam and he's like okay well you're pregnant and I was like well no sh yeah that's why I'm here and and he just like told me all sorts of like you know do you drink do you do whatever and I was oh, like well I don't anymore and he's like well that's just for alcoholics you can you know like making all these these comments and when I actually transferred to midwifery care I never had another vaginal exam again until that baby was until I asked and said I would like to know what's happening and um I just feel like it's the matter of control, like the way that the system is, how invasive we are, the language that we use, how complacent has pregnant people. We just, right. you know, how many times have you heard, oh, I've had a, when you're, when you're like, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll leave the room, you can change. Oh, it doesn't matter. I've had children already. And I thought that doesn't matter. I still don't need to be naked in front of anybody that exactly. I don't want to be. And that, um, just cause you, one midwife too, after our six week appointment, she kind of left the room after I got changed and she said um, something about just because I, we, you know, you gave birth and all that doesn't mean that that gives me the rights to just be, you know, um, privy to your, your nudeness or whatever. Like yeah. just because that happened already doesn't mean I have automatic consent now right. that I'm right. going to be here. So it's really, you know, and there's layers and layers and layers of that that previous past trauma coming up in birth that people don't even put a thought to, never mind the obstetrical violence that can usually and most often ensue in those situations. And that's emotional, mm -hmm. physical, you know, we've seen lots of stuff in the news, but um, yeah. yeah. I wanted to go into, um, I guess for me, the, the spiritual aspect of uh, birthing. And I remember, um, you know, teachings that have been shared with me from elders as well that speak to um, when we are giving birth that we are, for us, you know, we are, we are really close to that spirit world because our babies are coming from that spiritual realm. And so um, we are part of that. And in understanding that and understanding those teachings as well when you are in that space of birth um, is pretty incredible. And I think that, you know, I had a little bit more understanding when I had Amaya that um, I was very cognizant of that during my, my, um, my pregnancy of being very mindful of, of imagining and being in meditation and prayer about what I envisioned that that birth to be like and it was like it was it was a longer period of time that I had I was with Amea through um, it was a few days but again like just the way in which I manifested that birth happened that way and I remember at one point and I think it was with Ella I was praying and I was praying really hard because I was having um, it, Ella's contractions were so tough that they were coming back to back. Like I would take a breath and then the next one would start mm -hmm. and it would, they were just so strong. And I remember my mom crying mm -hmm. and I could, and I could hear her saying to the nurses, she needs a break. Like, <laughs> she, she needs a break. Your mom came, <laughs> met me in the hallway and hugged me. She can't do this anymore. I Somebody shook her. get her a break. <laughs> Can somebody get this woman a break? 
like, how do you give that, right? Yeah. And so really, I remember saying, okay, Terry, you know, pull this together. And so I started praying and just praying. And I said, I just need two minutes. You know, give me a two-minute <laughs> creator, please. Give me a two-minute break. Literally, contraction stopped. And we and it was two minutes. And mm. I was like, oh, okay, I got this. Do this. Right? Let, <laughs> let's, let's get this baby out. <laughs> right? And so I think that, you know, the power and then the connection of, of what that feels like. And knowing that feeling, I've had that feeling where it's like you know something it's just it's different you're in a different realm you're not there necessarily physically as well but there's such a spiritual thing happening Mm -hmm. at that time that you can't even describe it's like the third or fourth day of your fast when you're just not even there anymore (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. what i see it as yeah like because i've done ceremony after birth even though birth is that that you know you're you're bringing a spirit birth side to me that headspace mm-hmm. is the same you cannot be logically thinking about time thinking about mm-hmm. hunger thinking about hmm. pain you cannot be there and in a perfect world of of giving birth although yeah i think it to me it's it's the same of giving birth when we totally surrender and just let those things mm-hmm. come that we have no control mm-hmm. over them just like when you're doing your fast and you're dealing with all that stuff coming up, you can tap out and be and break your fast and be done with it. And in birth, you can't do that, really. Even if you <laughs> vouch for an epidural or yeah. um, a C-section, it doesn't end, right? You right. still have to finish your journey. So that's kind of the difference. And um, that's the space that I, I try to explain to people. And, and in all of my training, they talk about it being labor brain and you're in your right brain and you're in that non-spatial brain. And that as um, witnesses to that, um, we can't change that. And uh-huh. I think for some family members, it's really hard. And I think it's my, my sexist comment is that usually for men, it's very difficult because they tend to be fixers. Right. And so watching your partner, right? Like someone get her an epidural or, you know, I need to do something in that way where, I mean, I've been doing it for so long that I know that I can't mm-hmm. take it away. I can validate how, she, how they're feeling and I can talk about different positions or, you know, things like that. That's, those are the tools that we use, mm-hmm. but prayer is that's this is the new stuff for me the ceremony piece the prayer piece the some elders talk about um lots of other things like having your hair down not up in a bun like letting things just flow and um singing like singing to that baby and I mean they talk I've heard lots of teachings about not making any noise well and I said is that because the men would be outside drumming and you wouldn't hear her or Mm. (laughs) you know they talk about not making any noise to not scare the baby um to come in but like you hear all of these other pieces about stuff and that's the stuff you know the Mm -hmm. first time I sang a baby in I don't even think I was in my body I was just like that she was coming and I just I just started singing right away and I was just like, Oh my God, in the hospital. And it was, it, I was, things were a little bit intense and like, it was so cool. It was so cool. And so that baby now, that's what she heard, Mm -hmm. you know, as those songs coming in and I'm in love with the spiritual aspect of it Mm -hmm. just because that's where I am in my life. And it's kind of a utopia just because our, 
birth world right now is not quite ready for that but I that's what I'm slowly Mm -hmm. working on and we know we don't get those teachings or those practices or I'm not going to go to midwifery school mostly because I wasn't accepted but but partially (laughs) because that's a colonized aspect of it so I'm going to study my midwifery through ceremony and that doesn't mean I'm going to attend births in the bush in case anyone's worried about that (laughs) black market midwifery it's about it's about supporting people through that journey of rites of passage all the way to when we go back to the spirit world that's the journey of the midwife Mm -hmm. and all the medicines in between Mm -hmm. and i remember when we were at uh, baby's birth last year last august Mm. she she just had her first birthday here at wapanachakos and she um we were all there so there was me and Amber and I think I remember Yeah. <laughs> so there was a bunch of us and, and all the aunties. All the aunties. <laughs> was was all, like, the aunties. all the cocos. Brush your hair. Brush your oh hair. Oh my remember? gosh. Yes. Yep. And so we were messaging back and forth. I was messaging with you um, during that time. But I remember the like there was so much that we did over those two days uh, with her. But one of the really memorable moments for me was when we were in the hospital and um, mom, our sister Cindy, was having a bit of a hard time being, you know, and she was like, I really need you guys to help me through this um, and be there for her. And so she would go out quite often, um, but she came in and, uh, and uh, mom was progressing a little bit slower uh, and she was gonna sing for her. Her mom was gonna sing for her. Is this my singing Cindy? Yeah, (laughs) Cindy. And so she, um, we all kind of got in a circle by the bed and and, uh, mom-to-be was standing at the end of the the bed, Um, but we were in a circle. Mm -hmm. And she started singing to her daughter. Oh, and like we were, and like even just just to think about about it, it, we were crying like, all of us were crying and it was just and then she was like oh <laughs> like the, this like moan comes out and we're like oh okay it's like it just moved things it and it shifted something and then uh things just progressed right after that mm-hmm. uh, but it was so beautiful it was beautiful it was so beautiful just to and again like we need to see more of that with with our women, our indigenous women, um, and those and if we don't have moms, and, and if we don't have, because because I I recognize that not all of us have mothers, who who are present, who are alive, who have the ability to come mm-hmm. in and sing for us. That's where we come in, mm-hmm. as as helpers. That's where aunties come in. That's where cookums come in. Right, as if we don't have a cookum or a mom in our life, in our lives, in our lives that can, that can do that for us. There's plenty of us out there, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's part of our role too. That's part of your role, Nadia. Yeah. And that's that Nagawisak community is, you know, when we're talking about training doulas and doing a doula training and and all of that i think what gets misconstrued and lost is that those teachings are not just for certain people yeah those teachings are for everybody mm-hmm. yeah because when i think my first year of this indigenous birth of alberta i'm gonna go serve all the people while well, five months burned out couldn't yeah. do anything and i thought there's no way then 
you know, now my goal with the trainings that my, the trainings that I want to do quote unquote, is that I want to go out into community and support those few people who want to pass on those teachings and, and just to be there to support them Mm -hmm. to do that and not keep it to certain people who are going to be the professionals who do it because every person in the community should know how to support the midwife is a different role right they had different teachings that that were more specific and they were different people in the community as opposed to every auntie or um relative who just knew how to support people everybody had a role and that's where until i die that that's what i would like to see is that Mm -hmm. my doula role is gone because everybody will have that you don't need you know everybody used to you do a placenta ceremony right there's certain things that we need to have elders do for us but you can have the welcoming of that baby come in there's the walking out ceremony the placenta ceremony the otzi ceremony like all of those things and they have a purpose Mm -hmm. behind them to ensure a good life for that baby everything has purpose it's not just hey, I know how to do this ceremony. Like, we should do it just because. It's because it has purpose Mm -hmm. to it. And to me, birth is no different than any of that. And so I think it's been long forgotten the importance of how this baby is brought into the world or how that person is carrying that baby, how they take care of themselves. And and that, to me, is, is the transformative part of us coming back as Indigenous people it's not just about reclaiming land. It's also about reclaiming our bodies and about mm-hmm. about centering our children again in our communities. Mm-hmm. So um, I could sit here and listen to you talk uh, for hours. And I mean, we could. We could make this like a three-hour episode. <laughs> Why not? But I feel like you, I think you said you have to go to work. So. Um, but is there anything, you know, considering the people that we have listening, we have listeners who are, um, you know, academics, we have students listening, we have, you know, folks in law and and uh, educators and nurses and doctors and hopefully everybody and anybody in between uh, we have listening to uh, our podcast. Is there anything that you would like to leave people with um, going forward? think it's just to remember um, where we have come from remember that the the teachings that we have and the ceremonies that we have have a purpose behind them and that's what always kept our people healthy and um, moving forward and supporting each other and for those of you that are wanting to or that are bringing children into the world know to trust your intuition I wish I knew the Cree word for that know to trust what you feel inside if it doesn't feel right then um, keep looking keep looking for for what it is that you want and um, find the people who are going to support you in that way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well thank you Nadia Uh, we really appreciate you joining us on two Crees in a pod Thank you. Two crees in a pod. 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 Hey. Natani means. Yeah. Let's go. 
They pushed us to this point Frustrations of a common man Manifest the destiny Preach and pledge the promised land I'm stuck between taking my journey Live with no honor Like what's the use of my kids Can't taste clean water A child born into a world Revolution's not a choice Fighting to be heard So we make them hear our voice Remember ancestors Anguish lightning in our veins Hear it in a language When they are kitchen for the rain I am product of people That persevere persecution Paint me so creator sees me If I go out shooting Experience our pain When our women disappear daily Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the wolves in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptations? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said Two Crees in a Pod.